Search Press is the leading supplier of arts and crafts books in the UK. They publish beautiful and practical art books. Overall, a good art book needs to delight, inspire and instruct us artists and crafters of all skill levels all over the world. And all of Search Press books do that perfectly. So if you're in need of a dose of creative inspiration, then do check out their extensive book listings. Simply search searchpress.com or take a look at the show notes on the podcast website. And soon you can put your feet up in the studio with a good read from Search Press. Hi, I'm Tom Shepherd, And I'm Peter Keegan. And welcome to Ask an Artist. This is the podcast designed for working artists and makers, people just like us who are looking for tips and advice, ideas and strategies for not only making, but selling their work too. Covering a range of topics from social media to approaching galleries, interviewing fellow artists and industry experts, Ask an Artist podcast is here to keep you company in the studio and to help you on your artistic journey. Well, it's not called Ask an Artist for nothing, because today we give over the whole content of the podcast to you, the listener, where some of you have sent in your artistic quandaries to challenge me and Tom to see if we could shed a little light on them and to help you out. Thank you for sending in all your questions via social media or via our website at askanartistpodcast.com, where this week we'll be discussing what you would paint if no one was looking, writing an artist's CV, and collecting other artists work. So we'll start off with an email from Chantelle and she has asked if you were left completely alone to paint whatever you wanted without any external pressures or no thought about whether it would sell or what might people think, what would we paint? (laughs) And I suppose why? Oh, isn't that the dream, Tom? No one looking, no pressure. You can do whatever you like. (laughs) What would you, Tom Shepard, paint? Well, first, I love the way you said it in the intro. Like, what would you paint if no one was looking? It's like, kind of, yeah, I love it. <laughs> it's such a great question. And my slightly boring answer is that in many ways, I love painting watercolour and I love painting lots of animals and birds. And so in some ways, I'm already painting what I want to paint. However, to answer it properly, I would go a lot bigger. And I would actually push things a lot, lot, lot more abstract. Um, Not become fully abstracted artist, but I I would probably feel a little bit more free and easy to move away from being so literal with my painting and maybe explore the paint itself a little bit more. Not be afraid to paint almost entirely abstract in large passages of a painting. And you say big. I mean, how big are we talking? Well, it's tricky in watercolour. Like a full sheet watercolour is what? 22 by 30 inches, which in the grand scheme of things isn't that big. Um, Ideally, I'd love to find some gigantic pieces of watercolour paper that were, you know, six foot by 10 foot. Get the big brushes out and go to town, but with watercolour. And it would still be similar sort of subjects. I also, um, I'm finding myself increasingly enjoying painting figures like the human form and I think I'd like to get a little bit more into life drawing but with watercolor and without actually using any pencil first so that would also be another Mm. exploration so those would be the things that I would paint with no thought as to whether they would sell or not 
So I'm curious about this abstraction sort of uh, idea because you're—I would call you—you're a loose painter. I mean, you can see that you are—you're a representational painter because your paintings look like the landscapes and the animals and the figures that you paint. So when we're talking abstract, are we going completely abstract or, or sort of blurring that line between representation and abstract? I think it's that blurry line. It's like how how abstracted can I make the shapes and the brush marks and still in the context of the painting represent something and you know a lot of my paintings are reasonably abstracted in certain areas but then I fall back on maybe tightening up the eye a little bit and I'd love to push that idea further and say hey how abstract can I push it everywhere and how abstract and loose can I paint what I would have previously refined and tightened up a little bit more so uh, yeah blurring the line between abstraction a little bit but also if you maybe if you were to even cut the painting in half one entire area would be almost completely abstract when out of context if that makes sense so I'd like to push mm. that idea a little bit further what about you Pete How, what would you like to do if nobody was looking I think what's really lovely to hear is that I think your your answer is quite close to what you're doing already. Yeah, totally. And I, I can relate to that. I'm quite lucky that actually I am doing what I would be doing if nobody was looking. I am primarily a figurative portrait painter. People fascinate me, the characters, the personality, the shapes of the face, uh, the way people hold themselves, their frame, their body, pose, posture. You know, I find that an incredibly fascinating um, experience uh, and um, obsession of, of being aware of what people do, people watching. Mm. And I would, you know, I love the idea of having regular sitters uh, coming in sort of on a weekly basis mm. um, and painting them, you know, and building up a painting quite slowly over time, as opposed to having very short periods where I just have, you know, one or two very short sittings uh, for my commercial um, uh, commission portrait to actually have a much longer sort of gestation period where I can really consider and play. And that's something like that I could easily do, but it would slightly um, slow down the productivity yeah. of, of everything else I'm doing. If I could fully just dedicate that into building a relationship with a subject and a sitter and exploring it through paint with no pressures of come on speed up and you've got to get on this and mm. you've got to teach that you know that would be something that I'd really love to uh, to find I'm trying to carve out a little bit more time in my diary that's going to allow me a little bit more opportunities hopefully uh, to indulge in that yeah I like that and that word indulge is good it's like give yourself a little bit more time to explore the things that you want to explore and would would with that would you be wanting to explore I don't know any any level of costume or direction with the model or interesting poses or would you want to keep keep the the poses more traditional and focus more on the techniques or the way that you're using the paint there are two things that come to mind firstly was inspired by a recent trip i made to the watts gallery the watts gallery is a beautiful gallery uh, in surrey and it celebrates the life and work of uh, wg uh, watts a famous victorian uh, figurative painter and what he was incredibly inspired by was sort of a sense of symbolism and mythology ah, in his yeah. work so his paintings have a sense of story and narrative and a lot of the stories um, in his paintings were of, of Greek and, and Roman origins but also poetry as well uh, Tennyson and, and others and there's an element of that I think would be quite fascinating to explore is to take narrative through 
history and culture of my local um, area or even sort of my heritage uh, in Wales and and taking some of those stories and seeing how I could explore that figuratively through mm. my work. That's It's always been an idea I've had in my head I'd like to uh, indulge with. So that is perhaps one facet I would look into. And maybe the other side is is similar to the artist in residency um, that I did not so long ago at a theatre, big, beautiful national theatre. And I spent a few years during the COVID pandemic um, reflecting what life was like in the theatre, mm. producing big canvases like your dream, actually massive canvases, you know, 12 feet uh, big, the biggest canvas I've ever done, which is now hanging in the theatre. Yeah. It would be really lovely to find a similar residency, but where I could... Yeah, somewhere very different. I mean, I love the idea of me being an artist in residence at a hospital or a care home where, you know, there's there's a lot of compassion, where the connections between people and the bonds between support and, and love and care is is, is mm. highly, is, is a primary aspect to the environment. And so to be on a fly on the wall and to be able to document and capture those characters and more importantly, those relationships, I think would be, you know, another special thing and they those two things having have in common the kind of telling the story of of, of mythology or the story of, of people coming together oh definitely that what i love about that is that's such an interesting take on this question because you're you're talking more about exploring the concepts behind why you paint and i think that's really lovely what so yeah so that's that's kind of the reasons why so just to to round this off is there in terms of how you actually paint because i know you're always exploring the boundaries of brushwork and uh, and loose painting and painterliness and i even in the last year i've i've watched your work develop quite dramatically in that direction is that a direction you would like to take your painting further like how far can you push the the jigsaw of brush strokes or would you actually want to explore layering in a more refined approach or how would you want to take that the process of painting, as you know, and as many of listeners know, it's endlessly fascinating. The different effects you can get with transparent paint and opaque paint, mm. big brushes, small brushes, whether you thin it, whether you add gels and, and, and so on. That process of experimentation is always ongoing. Um, I tend not to experiment on you know the bigger commission mm. portraits because, of course, my, I need to make sure that everything I'm doing there is going to work at its best. I don't want to experiment and then something go wrong. So if I take away those added pressures or people not looking at me, then maybe one would experiment a little bit more with, you know, maybe added mediums or perhaps colours that are not uh, regular um, limited palettes that are on my portrait, just to push those boundaries a little bit more. But I I am finding that endless fascination of, of, of what we call lost and found edges, mm. where you find a very hard mark and so another area softens into a sort of a semi-abstract area. I'm finding that endlessly fascinating mm. at the moment and inevitably that's going to develop um, as I develop as an artist going forward. Yeah, I love it. I guess I guess the takeaway point on this question is that it would it's almost like not that we'd paint anything differently, but we'd just give ourselves more time to explore. That's it, really. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like we could chat about that question for probably another hour. However, we're going to take a, a short break to brush up on some art materials. Watercolour brushes have a strong and rich history of traditional animal hairs, but for various reasons many people are seeking out synthetic alternatives. And these synthetic hair brushes have come on in huge leaps and bounds in recent years. 
The Rosemary & Co answers to these calls are quite amazing. With the usual care, time and attention to detail, they've created two remarkable ranges. The Sienna range is made to perfectly emulate the quality and the feel of squirrel hair, whilst the Red Dot collection is their answer to the famous characteristics of Sable. These synthetic versions are not inferior copies of the real thing. They are completely standalone ranges of brushes which sit proudly alongside any other brush in terms of quality and feel. To add one more little thing, Rosemary & Co also have fantastic ranges of white and golden nylon brushes. These, plus the red dot and sienna ranges, come in a massive array of sizes and shapes. Whatever your experience level, style or approach, I highly recommend giving these ranges a try. You will not be disappointed. As well as being lovingly made here in the UK by hand, the synthetic brushes are also a little bit more accessible to those on a tighter budget without sacrificing quality. Be sure to check them out along with all the Rosemary & Co brush ranges at rosemaryandco.com where you can also order a free catalogue shipped anywhere in the world. Now we've had our brush fix. Let's get back to the episode and another question. This is from Karen via email and she asks, I've recently been asked for my artist's CV via gallery considering my work. I've never written one before as I'm quite new to the professional art world. Are there any things I should and definitely should not add? Not really my area, so I'm going to check it over to you, Pete, and see what you say. Oh, thanks, Tom. That's really, really generous of me. To... I know. Yeah, take <laughs> it away. I've just okay. got to go somewhere okay. else. So first of all, let's do a little bit of definition. An artist's CV and an artist's statement. So I just ah. want to sort of def- define the two yeah. things. So an artist's CV is is a biography of, of what you have done, your achievements. And we're talking, of course, artistically. I don't want to know how many GCSEs you've got or whether you've got a swimming certificate. It's all <laughs> about the artistic achievements you've done. So for example places you have exhibited group shows or solo shows have you been um, awarded a prize for art uh, in any way have you uh, done a residency or a bursary anything art related other things you may want to consider are any places that collect your work are your paintings hung in any notable collections galleries that represent your work or, or significant people who purchase your work that is what a cv is as opposed to a statement would you, in a CVP, would you put things like, say, for example, you've written a book, either self-published or otherwise, or you've done a magazine article or anything along those sort of lines, or you've got a, a thriving YouTube channel, even though you've not sold much work with galleries, you know, is that sort of thing relevant? Yeah, I think those can be relevant and they would sort of, they would lie very much within the CV. This is where I would reflect and decide who is this CV for? Mm. If it is for a gallery... And it's very much focused on the art and the sale of your art and the um, display of your art. The interest in them uh, taking account into articles or other things may not be as high compared to if it was a teaching capacity and you're sending a CV through for uh, some sort of agency or anything to do with your teaching. Then, of course, your experience of teaching, um, the, the articles you have written and so on, of course, would be relevant. So I think it's always w- good to review uh, your artist CV, depending upon who is uh, mm. receiving it, doesn't mean you should you know edit it um, and, and, and manipulate it um, uh, and, and lie about it in any way. It's just sort of giving them the, the needed to know information. Um, some people are going to need to know where you've been, and others uh, you haven't. But on the whole, where you've exhibited and, and so on is the most important thing. Now, an artist statement is different. An artist statement is very much about your 
your mission statement, why you do what you do, how you do what you do. It's about why is your art existing and what are you trying to achieve uh, as an artist? And I think that's very important for the gallery sector. They need to sort of pass it on to their customers of this artist creates this type of work and this is why. Mm. This is what drives them. These are perhaps some of the materials they use. That's where you'd put on that kind of wider context explaining that will go alongside your art as opposed to kind of the historical stuff that your art has been involved mm. with. So CV is more what you've done. Uh, artist statement is kind of why you do it and I guess the CV is maybe a bit more factual and your artist statement is where you can be a little bit more yourself it's that kind of thing there is a potential third one which it's sort of it can sit in between the two and that's a biography ah. so a biography is is a little bit more personal it's more about you where you come from um, if there's a particular interesting backstory to you whether you've mm. trained or whether you've come to art um, either via a, a numbers of, of different careers which have then informed your work sometimes that can naturally be woven into your artist statement but depending on your biography it may need a standout um, separate document Documentation mm. uh, as well but the cv the mission statement and then potentially the biography are the three things that i think all professional artists need to consider having uh, ready to provide those that are asking for it i think even if you're not required to provide one in the immediate moment i think they're good things to write out anyway i think writing down your achievements is is a good thing and what you've done i think writing a biography about your story is well, your, your story is a great marketing tool and it's going to make you realise how unique your own individual story is. And I guess writing an artist statement is going to really make you question, why am I even painting in the first place? And all of these things are going to help you develop as an artist, the process of them, I guess. So there's a few other tips that I would uh, give Karen um, that I would give everyone as well. Do it a bit of research. So if you're going to write an artist CV or a statement, just see how other artists are doing it. Yeah. Of course, research some maybe some of your favourite artists and just get an idea. You'll see that there are there's a varied way that you can uh, construct and format a CV. So do a bit of research and see how others are doing it. Added to that, I would also say is write a few versions of this CV. Have CVs at slightly differing lengths. You know, you might want an incredibly comprehensive one if you have a lot of experience, but then you might want a sort of more abbreviated one of mm. just some of the key... Uh, sort of significant uh, events or exhibitions and opportunities you have been involved with. So you've got a couple of them to fall back on. Always have someone proofread it. I would always ask us for a second opinion just to check over it, partly for things like spelling, grammar, punctuation. But I have found myself where I've written down a CV and I've shown my wife and she said, why haven't you mentioned that very big, important <laughs> thing? And I've completely forgotten. I've taken it for granted. Yes. So it's nice to have someone else look at it. So I would always run it past uh, someone else, a friend or a trust one. Uh, just to make sure that you have uh, included everything. Mm. And most importantly, is keep it up to date. The, lot, the most embarrassing thing is that when someone asks, can I have your CV or your artist statement, and you send it to them, but it's the one that you wrote four years ago, and yeah. it's shown you, it says the last date was in, say, 2019 or 2017, and the person will think, why haven't that artist done anything? Been asleep since then, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And it just shows that you're perhaps a little bit unprofessional. Yes, so true. make sure that you do review it, do check it, do update it uh, every year to make sure it mm. is as up to date and reflects you in the best light possible. I know what I need to do after we finish recording. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, on that bombshell, I think we're going to go to our final question. 
And actually, our last question comes from a number of different people via Instagram with similar sorts of questions. And it reads, as artists, do you also collect artwork? And if so, what sort of art do you collect and why? I think one of the great pleasures of being an artist is that you get to share a community with other Mm. like-minded folk. And of course, with that, they produce beautiful things that you look at and go, gosh, I love that. Oh, I wish I could have produced that beautiful part or that beautiful print. And the joys of that is that you can often take it home and buy it. So I think producing art and then also buying art sort of go hand in hand. Mm. I mean, I feel that. How about you, Tom? Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. I definitely collect art. I've got an appreciation of art, obviously. Um, I love buying original art if I can. I also, if I can't afford an original piece, I do also buy prints. Um, there's also the lovely feeling of supporting another artist by, by putting your hand in your pocket and paying for one of their pieces. And yeah, I absolutely collect art. Uh, and I, I collect paintings. Uh, I love, um, lino cut and other types of prints i've got a real fondness for that and i also love 3d pieces i love sculpture uh, and i've got a real thing for ceramic particularly pots i have a, a slightly oddly large collection of ceramic pieces that don't really serve any purpose but i just love looking at them because they're beautiful i also own a piece from this artist you may have heard of called peter keegan we have a great little piece of his yeah which i absolutely love and i look at it every day and i also own uh, a beautiful little laura boswell as well and i would like to own more of both of those artist pieces but yeah i've got all sorts if i if i'm doing a show and there's other artists there and i see something like i like i don't you know i don't really hesitate in buying it if i can afford it and yeah it's just a really really wonderful thing to do there are a little bit too many of my own pieces up on the wall but they're slowly getting replaced by other artists which is a nice thing well you can't argue everybody tom's clearly got incredible taste having all that wonderful art on the wall <laughs> it, was, it was purely an investment i didn't actually like the piece uh, well i, I mean <laughs> I, I suppose it's fair that I, I i show the other side of course of course i've got a tom shepherd uh, painting i've got a beautiful uh, landscape of tom's on the wall and i have i think i have three or four uh, laura uh, previous uh, co-host uh, prints on the wall as well. I have been waiting for another one of mine for quite some time, which I, I do owe you guys. Another thing to do after we finish recording. <laughs> I think um, one of the things that I have often done in terms of, of buying art is that actually in some ways it hasn't been bought, but it has been swapped. So um, oh, yes. one of the things, of course, us artists, um, we are highly uh, prolific in what we do, but let's be honest, we're all starving as well sometimes. And I do love this piece <laughs> of artwork, but sometimes I can't quite afford uh, to purchase purchase it and more often than not you can have that conversation with other artists and they're in a similar boat where actually a swap or an exchange um, could work out quite nicely it's a cost-effective way of of owning something and everyone's a winner and actually I have lots of pieces that I have done a lovely barter for and there's something really quite sort of quite nice about that that uh, relationship I've had uh, with that artist in terms of my own work I have very few pieces of mine own paintings on the wall I think I can only count in my head four and they're quite small and they're actually of our children and they're the only pieces uh, that I have up but apart from that I have quite a wide collection of of paintings and prints and bizarrely enough I also have just been getting into ceramics Ah. Uh, my ceramics uh, they're more functional ceramics so I am buying plates and bowls and mugs Ah. I'm getting a a very dark obsession with collecting lots of handmade mugs way more mugs than I need but there's something really (laughs) wonderful about the handmade uh, nature of that. And, and there's an element of it being, in some cases, slightly more cost-effective uh, than other pieces. So I am indulging in that uh, hobby, mm. if you like, uh, more and more. And it goes to 
that saying, you know, I am an artist. I love art. I love producing art. And I love having that art all around me in all its different uh, forms. I agree with what you first said, Peter. They almost... Because we are creatives and we're creating art and we sell art, it almost goes hand in hand that we then have it. And, you know, I love having a house full of beautiful things to look at. Who wouldn't? Mm. I do want to add just a, a tiny quick anecdote to your, your idea of swapping art. I have also experienced where this was a long time ago at an art show when I was doing painting on guitars and a very different style of artwork. And it was a, like a pinstriping exhibition where people are painting on motorbike helmets and airbrushing leather jackets and stuff like that. A different lifetime. I had a whole load of paintings on display and a, a guy came up to me and was, I really love your work. I would, um, I'd love to, to do a swap with you if possible. Um, and he brought along the piece that he wanted to swap and I, in, in the nicest way possible, just, uh, really did not like it at all. And the piece that he wanted to swap was my favorite piece that I had with me. Um, so I had to very diplomatically duck out of that one, but there's absolutely, uh, opportunities for doing swaps. And that is a really, really lovely thing to do. Definitely. Many thanks for sending in all your great questions to us. And if you would like to put one of your artistic problems to me and Peter, then you can do so via the website or our social media channels. Just search Ask an Artist. And thank you all so much for listening and for all of your reviews and ratings, both on our website and on Apple Podcasts, because they really do help keep the podcast visible and free for everyone. And finally, you can catch up with everything we've discussed during this episode and all our previous episodes at our dedicated website, askanartistpodcast.com. One of the things that really sets Jackson's Art Supplies apart is they have a team of passionate and professional creatives who all have a love for sharing all things art materials related. Among them are artists who have exhibited at esteemed galleries, including the Royal Academy of Art and the Mal Galleries, and many have studied at fine art institutions, including the Royal College of Art and the Coltart Institute. They are united by a passion for the quality materials they work with, And one of the best things about this is you can reach out to them and ask them directly any question about painting, drawing or printmaking and they will find the answer no matter how obscure. So whether you're a beginner or a seasoned pro wishing to widen your knowledge a little further, simply visit Jackson's Art Supplies at jacksonsart.com.